All right, all right. How y'all doing today? Doing okay? Good stuff. It is fall. We're back at it. Very excited. If you are new uh, with us to Village Church, welcome. My name is Mark. I'm the teaching pastor, lead pastor here at the church. Really good to have you. If you have a Bible, uh, open up to 1 Corinthians. If you're new to the church, that's cool. You can uh, get it on your phone or uh, Bibles as you come in. Uh, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. That's the book that's going to be the foundation of what we're calling Masterclass. And what I mean by that, if you know anything about Masterclasses, if you've seen them online or whatever, usually what they do is they try to hone in on becoming a specialist or a master at something by thinking through it, spending hours, weeks, uh, months, years thinking through how to actually approach a certain thing. It might be writing, it might be cooking, it might be leadership, it might be parenting, whatever it is, uh, interior design. It's a master class where you go through a series of topics and themes and ideas to think through and then practice out a way of doing something, becoming master at it. Well, we're doing something way bigger than that at all of our sites. If you're here in Surrey, uh, Langley North, Langley South, Calgary, awesome. It's the fall. We're really excited uh, to be hitting this, using 1 Corinthians as the foundation of it, but looking not to become a master at something as specific as that, but it's a masterclass on all of life. And so we're approaching it and we're going, man, how do you actually think about uh, things that you want to become specialists at, things that you might suck at, uh, things that you're trying to figure out? God, sex, marriage, politics, business, philosophy, uh, dating, parenting, divorce, lawsuits, head coverings, gender issues, roles in marriage, all of the, uh, what it means to be a church. Is tongues still a thing? Are miracles still a thing? If you're new to church, you're like, wow, tongues. Okay, interesting. We'll explain that later in a bunch of chapters. You're like, yeah, I like this church stuff. I like it, tongues. Um, what you begin to understand is that Paul hits everything. And here's why 1 Corinthians is the best book to do a masterclass. Because it's literally a book that hits every single topic you can imagine. And the reason it does is because it was written to a city called Corinth that was such a mess and a disaster in so many ways. But it was very much like Vancouver and Calgary, where our churches are, where it was a port city. It was a city that had a bunch of athletics going on. It hosted something called the Ithmian Games, which is kind of like the Olympics every two years. Um, it had, it was, it was a disaster in many ways. It had um, traveling speakers that would come and they would talk about self-promotion and positive thinking and people would go and drop $10,000 to go and figure out how they can become a better version of themselves and their business could do better. Not that Vancouver or Calgary knows anything about that, <laughs> Tony Robbins. And the Apostle Paul writes to them and goes, you guys are a disaster if you actually fall for this stuff. Um, Corinthians was a place where they, they sexually, there was actually a, a, a poet coined a phrase to Corinthianize uh, or Corinthenzo. And what it meant was uh, to be a fornicator, meaning Corinth was a place where sex was rampant. Anybody would have sex with anyone, anytime, anywhere. And there was no restrictions. And everyone kind of lived similarly to our culture where it was like, you do whatever you want. We don't have any, any say in what you do. We're never going to tell you you did anything wrong. You do you, we'll do us. And the Apostle Paul says this can be a devastating reality if you're not very careful. And so he's constantly speaking into issues of sexuality and greed and idolatry, the things that actually drive our life in many ways. And that's what 1 Corinthians actually is all about. It's people gone wild. And it's literally a crazy culture where the Apostle Paul goes, oh my goodness, you're living in a city where everyone's defined by money and sexuality. And I, it's almost the opposite problem that the Gospel of Matthew is written to. The Gospel of Matthew is written to people who were pretty religious and conservative. And they, you know, they, 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 uh, 
went to Bible study every week and they homeschooled their kids and wrote their own textbooks and said that, you know, we rode around on dinosaurs and they, they, they lived in Abbotsford and, you know, rode horses and had denim dresses and made their own butter. And that was kind of what they did. Uh, and, that, and, and Matthew had to write to them and go, hey, you religious freaks who think that you've got everything figured out because you go to church and you do all the right things. By the way, you might not actually know God at all. All right, that was three and a half years in Matthew. Uh, now Corinthians is almost the opposite problem. It's not religious people. It's people who are so jacked up that they've lived in a city that's so immoral. They've had sexual practices that are a disaster, business practices that are a disaster, family practices that are a disaster. And then they've become Christians and they just continue to do the same thing. So it's a city gone wild, but then it becomes Christians gone wild because they're like, well, I'm just going to continue to do and be who I am, but now I'm going to be a Christian. And the apostle, like there's a story I read recently about a, um, a gangster who'd actually been a gangster his whole life and then he became a Christian. And then two years after, the guy who actually led him to Christ showed up and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm a gangster. And he's like, how is that possible? You became a Christian. He's like, no, I'm a Christian gangster. There's Christian plumbers. There's Christian businessmen. There's Christian. And he's like, what? I still whack guys. I just pray about it. All right. And so the guy's like, no, no, no. Listen, here's the fundamental problem that you and I have. We think there can be Christian porn stars, Christian businessmen, Christian this, Christian that. Listen, there can't be because here's the fundamental problem. And, they fa and Paul faced it in Corinth to this church gone wild. He's saying, you cannot, listen to me, first point of masterclass if you're a Christian or if you're exploring Christianity is that you can't just become a Christianized version of what you already are and are determined to remain. Something about Christianity changes you to the core of your being. And Paul is gonna say, you cannot just go along functioning, but then just have some different beliefs and it not affect everything else. And so Corinthians comes along and goes, I'm gonna talk about your belief. I'm gonna talk about behavior. I'm gonna talk about belonging. I'm gonna talk about everything under the sun from politics to business to sex to parenting to all of it. And it's all gonna be driven by a worldview. And you and I have to understand, if you're exploring spirituality, we're glad you're here. Because this is going to set you up to be able to go, okay, we've hit everything under the sun and now I can either accept it and follow it or I can reject it. And so the Apostle Paul starts laying out these things and saying, listen, if you want to be truly human, if you want to be human in a different way, then you have to understand that your fundamental posture needs to be in the world, but not of it. This is what Jesus said to the church, that you need to be in the world. Yes, you need to live in Corinth and live in Vancouver and live in, in Calgary. The, these places that are exactly like Corinth, who've defined these things, you need to be in the world. Don't escape from it. Don't run from it. You need to be in the world, but here's the tension, you can't be of it. And so the apostle Paul says, listen, you gotta actually begin to function in a way where you become stronger than the world around you rather than weaker, which is oftentimes what we see. When I meet with, see, here's what the apostle Paul says. If you're the kind of person who just takes the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, the cultural moment, and you just do what you feel in a given moment, everyone around you might applaud you, but the reality behind the reality is that you're weak. You are a disaster if you're someone that just follows your feelings and you're actually weak because what the Apostle Paul wants to do is call you to be stronger than everybody else around you, which is going to be harder. And this is the key is that you, listen, let me tell you what the easiest thing to do in the world. When I meet with guys who've cheated on their wives, all right, they come to me and they say, I, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I cheated multiple people, whatever. Here's the reality of what the Apostle Paul would say. 
I know the world around you kind of applauds it. I know they think it's cool when you, you know, sleep around, around, away from your wife, away from your family obligations. But the reality is you're pathetic and weak and cowardice because here's what's harder. It's so easy to sleep with whoever you want. You know that, right? That's the easy route. The measure of a man has historically always been not the amount of people he can sleep with, but his self-mastery, the discipline to not do what is easy. Listen, it is easy. I, there was a day where I looked down. I was living in an apartment. I looked down and I saw my car was getting robbed. I ran down to my car. I opened the door. All my stuff was all over the place. I'm like, oh my gosh, my stuff's getting stolen. And I looked and I saw two 18, 19 year old girls running away and I ran after them and I stopped them in a field. And I'm like, listen, you just stole all the stuff from my car. And they were so drunk. They're like, yeah, we needed some money. And I'm like, well, don't do it that way. And I took back my stuff. I said, I'm going to call the cops. And they started moving toward me. And they were like, you smell good. You smell good. I'm like, what? What's going on? And they're like, we'll sleep with you right now in this field. Just don't call the cops. Come on. You're sexy. Let me sleep with you. And I'm like, all right, thanks, but no thanks. Now listen, here's how easy it is to cheat on your wife. Here's how easy it is. You can sleep with people who are robbing you. They're willing. That's how ridiculous our culture is. The measure of a person is the mastery to stick it out for 70 years to the same person. Anything else is weakness. It's pathetic. It's cowardice. It's not truly human. And the world has defined humanity for you and said, it's okay. God defines humanity right in Genesis 2. And he says, no, no. Man leaves his mother and father, gets united to his wife. The two become one flesh. That's a forever thing, no matter what. That's the way God defines it. And the apostle Paul is going to say, you got to figure out how you can exist in Corinth with these definitions, but actually be someone who transcends it. That's going to be the challenge. And so he lays down these challenges. And he says, listen, the worst thing you can do is follow your feelings. The worst thing you can do, your feelings are not a good indicator of what you should do in a given moment. You've got to figure out how to transcend your feelings and tap into something that actually transcends and is something more authoritative than your feelings. And some people say, no, 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 how you feel, just go with that. You do you. And Paul goes, man, that can be a disaster. Listen, uh, two weeks ago, my family and I were going on our last little three or four days away as a family summer vacation. It's wrapping up. It's ending. Fall's coming. Busy season. Let's go away for three or four days as a family. So in my brain, because I'm me, uh, I think, okay, we'll get on the road at 7 a.m. We'll be up there. It's a four or five hour drive. We'll be chilling on the beach by noon, whatever, right? So I tell my kids that. And my wife was uh, away uh, at the time and she came home on a Sunday night. She's like, okay, I got a lot of work to do tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, well, let's, you know, should we get on the road? She's like, yeah, listen, it's going to be 12, at least 12 in the afternoon before we get on the road. I have, you know, because in my brain, I'm like, let's just get up and go. She has to plan meals. She's got to figure out for the kids. She's got to do everything, everything structured. She's still got to shop. She got, and I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, of course, honey. And in my brain, I'm kind of boiling. Cause I'm like, I just want to get on the road and get there. And she's like, I know you probably are, you know, but this is the reality. I'm like, yeah, it's fine, baby. So we wake up in the morning and uh, she's already been up for an hour. And I come out, you know, I do my morning. Hey, good morning, my mom, little kissy, kissy, boo-boo. And I could just feel it. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. It was like a vibe. It was like the I hate you vibe. 
the like, just stay away from me. I'm kind of in the zone. I'm not in the mood for your kissy stuff. And so I was like, okay. So I just start talking, making coffee. Hey, everyone. So it's really nice at nine o'clock in the morning. Hey, everybody's good. Everybody good. And, and there was just like, these one word answers. I don't know if your wife's ever done this. It was like, no, whatever. All right. And I'm like, ah! all right. So starting to get a vibe. And so then I start to get angry and my feelings start to, to start to boil. And I'm like, oh man. I should, tell her, I should tell her I don't like being treated like this. I should tell her I should not be, I don't like being treated like this. I'm like, just bury it, just bury it, just bury it. And so she continues on with the one word answers and the kids are all laid out. And then I got the coffee here and all, I, I asked her this really nice question. I'm being a nice guy. And, uh, and she gives me some one word answer. And I just go, you know what? My brain says, you know what? This is how you feel. You need to tell her about it. All right. So I said, you know what? I'm going to call up and cancel this trip. And my kids go, no, daddy, what are you talking? I said, I'm going to cancel it because everyone's in a bad mood. And then I said these words. I'll never forget them <laughs> because she won't let me. Uh, I don't want to go away with miserable mom. <laughs> what? Those words came out of my mouth. And I, as they're traveling midair, I'm like, this is the worst thing I've said in a decade, all right? This is awful, and I'm trying to like... And they land in the house, and like, like she's like doing this, and I got... What did you say to me? And the kids are like... And they all got a coward in silence, all right? This is crazy. Listen, but that's how I felt. See, sometimes how you feel is not a good indicator of what you should do. You need to go, my gosh, I got a covenant here. I got to think about the next 30 years of my life. I should probably not do this, say this, follow this impulse. We have a culture telling you to follow every impulse you have. And the gospel is going to come along and be very and say, be very careful to not follow the impulses because they can get you in a lot of trouble. Here's the other thing that the Apostle Paul is going to do. As he lays out 1 Corinthians as our manual for a masterclass on life, what's beautiful about that is this. Every good story, if you read Donna Miller's book on, on branding and story, if you read Christopher Booker's book on the seven basic plots, what they talk about is every great story has a protagonist who gets offered a problem that they need to actually take care of. And when they decide to take care of the problem, a mentor of some sort comes into the story to help them. Picture Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, Rocky's coach, Mr. Miyagi and Karate Kid, over and over and over again, Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars. There's a mentor that comes in and says, I'm going to teach you the way to do it. Here's the beautiful thing about Christianity, if you're exploring it. If I just gave you a masterclass on life and said, just go by your feelings, go by whatever, do whatever you want, uh, there'd be no authoritative story to tell you, here's who your teacher is going to be. The instructor in this masterclass is the Bible. Here's the beautiful thing that, the, that Christianity does. It doesn't leave you to just think up stuff. It gives you a master. It gives you Jesus to go, here's, I'm going to tell you how to think. I'm going to tell you how to behave. I'm going to tell you how to be long. I'm going to tell you who God is. I'm going to tell you what's, I'm not going to leave you alone. Here, if you're a secularist and you're here, if you're a naturalist, if you're an atheist, you have no instructor. When I was 15 years old and my father died, I was raised in an agnostic home. 
My father passed away. I'm 15 years old. He's 47. I'm standing in the funeral, looking over his casket with a thousand worldview questions and nobody had any answers for me. My parents couldn't put me to bed at night and answer the questions of origins and meaning and morality and destiny and what the point of evil was. They couldn't answer any of these things for me because there was no authoritative story. The Bible comes along and goes, I'm going to be your instructor now. I'm going to teach you. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter and says, I'm going to teach you some things about God and philosophy and business and sexuality, and you can do one of two things with it. And if you think about your, your, your life, there's one of two problems. Either you've misunderstood the teachings of the Bible and Jesus, or you've chosen to reject them. Every problem you have comes down to one of those two things. And as we explore over the next weeks and months and however long it takes to unpack this masterclass, constantly come back to the question, which one is me? Have I misunderstood the message of Christianity or do I understand it and I choose to reject it? So here's how it starts. First Corinthians chapter one, Paul is going to unpack and we're going to do one verse today. We're going to go far quicker than that most days, likely. Trust me. But we're only doing one verse today because we need to meet our instructor, all right? So he says this, and remember, he started this church in Corinth. He spent 18 months there. You can read the, uh, uh, in Acts chapter 18, he started 18 months there and he planted this church. And the reason he planted the church is because it, if I want to have impact, I got to plant these gospel-centered churches in all of these cities. So he plants a church in Philippi and Thessalonica and Rome and all of these cities and, and Corinth was a major influential city because he said, if I want to change the, the world, then I got to plant these churches in places where people are, where there's education and media and influence in these cities so that I can reach. And this was the same thing. When we started Village Church, it was the inspiration of the Apostle Paul, that there was strategy. My heart was to reach a nation. My heart was to see people transformed, to change politics, to change education, to change media. How are you going to do that? Go out and protest at the law courts. Write law books yourself. Go out and hope that you can change media yourself. No, no, no. It's that you reach lawyers and doctors and nurses and teachers and students, and they go on. It's a long game. It's the next 10 or 20 or 30 years of how we can impact Canada because you as a lawyer or a doctor or a nurse or a student have been changed by the reality of Jesus Christ. And so it changes what you do. It changes how you think. It changes how you do your job. And then these spheres of life start to actually get transformed. See, there's people who come to me and they're saying, why don't you speak out on this issue? Why don't you get to, you know, speak out on this and speak out on that? Listen, my job, like the Apostle Paul, isn't to just speak out on issue after issue. It's to take people in every sphere of life. Maybe you're in education, maybe you're in politics, maybe you're in media, maybe you're in the arts, maybe whatever you are, you're a business owner, you're a student. The reality is my job is to get you to meet Jesus. And then you're going to take that and let it change everything about the way you do life and the way you do politics and the way you do media and the way, all of it. And this is what the Apostle Paul did. And this is what drove us. We're like, let's plant a church to reach our nation and change people. And so we had every problem that he had, right? When we started our church, we had a financial problem. Our first year, our budget, this was in 2010. We started our church eight years ago. For those of you who knew, 16 people in my house. And, the, and, and, and it was financial problems. Our budget was $50,000. Didn't know what to do. We had demonic problems. We, we've, we've had people, uh, parents died as we were trying to launch our church. Out of the 16 of us there, three of our parents died in the nine months that we gathered in order to launch our church. All right, my stepdad passed away, two other uh, moms passed away. 
in the core launch team. And you start to go, my gosh, is this worth it? And then you begin to see eight years later, the thousands of people that have come, that, 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 that come to our church, the, the people who've come to know Jesus, the fact that we're, you know, thousands of people across four sites and two provinces, about to be five sites, the people's lives have been changed, the marriages, the addictions, the kids that are, and you start to go, it's worth it because it's eternity versus the temporal. And the apostle Paul starts this church and he says, I want to reach people. I want to use technology. I want to actually have people come to know Jesus. And so he writes a letter. That's his technology at the time. Just like us. We, we use technology. We use video. For those of you who are new to the church, we have video sermons. That's how you engage with the material. All right, with the sermons, they're video because we want to try to leverage the moment that we have. I was sitting with a senator uh, this week who was, uh, I sat down for lunch with someone and he came and joined us, 81 years old, used to be in Brian Mulroney's cabinet. And he looked at me and he said, okay, uh, you're young and you're whatever, but what happens when you die? Of course, everybody loves to ask this question, which freaks me out all the time, right? What happens when you get hit by a bus? I'm like, I don't take buses. I, I walk around in a bubble suit so that everyone's chill. Uh, but the reality is, I said, man, we're, we're raising up people, raising up leaders, whatever. But the reality is, I'm not going to bury the, the heart and message and passion that Jesus has given me because he's going to ask me at the end of the day, what did I do with the 15 minutes that I had? And so we're going to try to leverage technology the way the Apostle Paul did in order to reach as many people as possible with the time that God has given to us. He's like, man, I'm in. The reality is this. You and I are part of a movement that wants to plant churches and reach people for Jesus because when Paul planted this church in Corinth, it wasn't so a bunch of Christians could sit around. It was so that those Christians could actually get on mission and reach people who didn't know him yet. Which is why day, you know, year two, when we got up and everyone's like, we have to go to two services. It's too packed in here. Everyone's like, no, we shouldn't do it because I'm going to miss my friend Jody. It was like, no, we are going to plant two churches because we didn't start a church for you to have more friends. We started a church because every day people die and go to hell and we want to reach them. So we're going to two services. If you want to go to some other church, go ahead. We grew by 50 people in a week just by going to, well, the, the person who challenged me left. So 49 people in a week. All right, we grew by, just by doing that, it's called extension. It's called, let's not just be localized, let's actually extend out. This is what the Apostle Paul did. This was his driving heart. This is why he planted in Corinth, spent 18 months there, and then he moved on. This, I, I connect with this because he wasn't a great pastor. He probably yelled too much and, uh, and, and had a short fuse at times. But this is why you all have local pastors. Surrey, Langley North, Langley South, Calgary of pastors who love you, shepherd you, care for your families. That's what they're there for. Not so much me. Don't get mad at me if I don't know your name. Like the lady who sat in, in the foyer one day and said, standing beside her husband, hey, Pastor Mark, what's my name? And I'm like, oh, man. Oh, I forget my, some of my kids' names half the time. I'm like, um, um, Sarah, because that's pretty, you know, for a white girl, you know, your name's Sarah or Aaron or Lisa, all right? So I'm <laughs> so I like, Sarah, and then she's like, mm-mm. And then her husband's like, he goes to talk, and she's like, no, don't tell him. And I sat there and I'm like, am I supposed to go down the list of white girl names right now? I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this moment. So it was awkward for about five minutes. And then they walked away and they never told me. I'm serious. 
I'm like, God, listen, man, I'm not going to be able to slide down the fire pole every time you have a problem, know everybody's name, know everything about you. That's why we have these local pastors who love you and care for you and develop you as leaders and so on. Like the apostle Paul, spent 18 months in a place, raised up leaders and then left to go plant the next thing. That's kind of the apostolic network leader call of what he does. And so he plants this church in order to reach people, as many people as possible. And so here's what he said, Paul, Okay, stop right there. That's verse one, word one, <laughs> Paul. Okay, so here's, here's Paul and he says, let me start the masterclass by introducing the instructor. And he says, I'm Paul. Now, some of you, if you're new to church, you might be like, oh, you know, uh, the writer of the Bible. He must be a really like saint guy. He must be a, a Christian his whole life, you know, grew up in the choir, just a really good guy, nice guy. Uh, but the reality is you don't know the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a disaster. He was a very religious guy, very smart. People say that he would have been famous even if he didn't write the Bible. He was so smart philosophically with a writing skill. He was versed in Hebrew and Gentile culture, in, in pagan culture, which is why God called him to be a Jewish apostle to the Gentiles, to take a Jewish message to the Gentile world that he saw in the person in the work of Jesus Christ. This was the fulfillment of Israel's story, but now I'm going to go tell Gentiles about it. And so he was so smart he did that. But the reality was he was a Shamite Pharisee who actually had, was so zealous, but zeal to a Shamite Pharisee was through a knife. And he was actually a terrorist. He oversaw the killing of the first Christian, Stephen, in Acts chapter 8. They laid their cloaks at the feet of a man named Saul, who's Paul. The reality is the apostle Paul was a murderer. So some of you, if you're sitting here right now, here's what you got to take from that first word. Some of you sitting here think, God could never use me because you don't know what I've done in the last year of my life. You don't know what I look at when nobody's looking. You don't know the disaster of, of, of what I think about. Listen, the apostle Paul was a disaster. His life, he was a murderer, and yet God used him, not because of him, but in spite of him. And you've got to be able to understand, no matter how bad you've been to this day, as you sit in that seat and listen to me, the reality is today is a new, today's a new start, tomorrow's a new start to what God can do in your life. Believe that. People around you are not going to tell you that. The apostle Paul, you ever murdered someone? Raise your hand across the sites if you've ever murdered anyone. All right, cheapers. Okay. <laughs> Ostras will chat later. Uh, you have mercy. So you're already ahead of the apostle Paul, man. You're already ahead of him. The reality is, I, I mean, you guys know my story. I don't need to sift through my story. But I didn't walk to church. I was 19. The drugs, the partying. I, 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 I once stole money from my, my best friend's uh, mom's purse. Um, same guy, I stole his girlfriend uh, a few months later. His mom, I stole money from her purse in order to buy drugs. I, I once smoked drugs so laced with something and cheap, I thought I was going to actually die. Uh, totally bendoed out, went crazy. Uh, I, I come from a family where my, my father was a deadbeat father, left our family. His sister, my aunt, was a schizophrenic who took her own life. And that blood runs through my veins. And I think about it often. When I think about the struggle with my own mental illness, Tourette's syndrome, obsessive compulsive disorder, the habits, the things I've done, the things that I fight every day. I was talking to my buddy the other day and he was reading a story and he's like, boy, it'd be tough to ever deal with mental illness, eh? I mean, it's so nice that we don't know what that's like. And I'm like, are you serious? Do you even know me? And he's like, yeah, 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 but you're, you know, you're, you're, I can't even tell with you. I'm like, yeah, because I fight it every day to not be, you, know, you understand what my high school life was like growing up? 
I, used, I was a smoker. I used to stand outside my high school because I believe that if people were talking about that bad things and I didn't do certain things, that those bad things would happen to me and my family. So I'd have to go down on my knees like this for that thing not to happen. Well, it got so obsessive. I'd be sitting out for a smoke. I'd be going down on my knees 10, 12 times in the conversation. I'd go, I would grow up in Toronto. I'd grow into these big wet patches from the snow. I'm like, hey, players, hey, girls, do you like me? And they're like, hey, it's knee boy. All right. And so the reality is, you don't, I mean, you don't think that the things I de deal with on a, on a mental level, there's some days I sit there, listen, uh, during our church plant stage, there's all these different habits that I collect uh, through time. And, and during our church planning days, I remember there was so much stress and strain on my life. The habit that I was doing at the time is I would kiss the air like this. All right, okay, that's really not cool when you're planting a church. And so we would gather the 60 people in our house. I'd be like, okay, we're gonna storm the gates of hell. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna reach people for Jesus. All right, we're gonna take the Bible and we're gonna slay it for the... All right, and everyone just stared at me like, this guy is mental. What is wrong with him? All right, there's moments where I'm like, why aren't I just still a cashier at Michael's? It'd just be so much easier with my stupid things that I do. All right, I should just be, I was a church janitor for three years. That's a good job for me because the, the toilet doesn't care what habits I have. But when I got to get up here and twitch around and do whatever, listen, I begin to think, oh my goodness, and then I begin to realize if you have been affected at all in a positive way because of anything I've ever said ever, it's not because of me, but in spite of me. Paul, the murderer. And some of you don't even know what is locked inside of you in regard to potential. You have no idea. And this series is gonna go, try it. You have no idea what could happen. Paul, he says, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, verse two. So he says, the church. Some of you, you're like, yeah, I don't want anything to do with church. Apostle Paul's, this gives an invitation in two ways. First, it says you need to become something part of something way bigger than yourself. Because if all you do is follow you in isolation and solitary individualism, like Western culture will tell you, you will end up corrupt and you will end up in a bad place because you're your own God. That's the ultimate slavery. That's what Soren Kierkegaard said. There's people who say, oh, you follow the Bible. That's oppressive. No, no, I'll tell you what's oppressive. When you're a slave to your own feelings and nobody has authority to come in and challenge you at all. That's the ultimate slavery. You don't even know it, but you're just a slave to what you feel in a given moment. What Paul would say is you become part of a church and the text now has authority over you. The word behind the word and the community around you now has authority over you. See, when I first came to church, when I was 18, 19. I didn't want anything to do with the church because that was a community that could keep me accountable. That's what I didn't want because I was too cool for that. I'd spent two years just reading the Bible. I walked into church and it was all these people who judged me. All right, I was a chain smoker. And so they would look at me and they would say, they walked up to Aaron and said, you cannot date him because he's not a Christian and you're gonna be unequally yoked. I hated that judgment. The fact that I loved Jesus, but I smoked made them judge me. The fact that I wouldn't hold hands across the aisle because I didn't want to touch another dude at that moment in my life and, and like, you know, kind of get into it with them. All right, It wasn't my style as a 19-year-old kid. People judged me. He's not godly enough. He's not actually a Christian. 
He's not this, he's not that. Uh, when, when the pastor, when I decided, when I felt a call to go into ministry in my life, and the pastor called me into his office, and he said, you will fail in ministry, but here's a Greek New Testament, goodbye. You will never get a job in ministry. For all those reasons, I resented the church. I didn't want to be part of the church. <clears throat> But all those experiences were, were exactly what I needed because they kept me sharp where I needed to be, what I needed to do. They pushed me. They inspired me. The reality is you need the church. Even if you're an atheist, you're an agnostic, you're a Buddhist, whatever religion you are and you're exploring a masterclass for your life, the church comes in and challenges you and you don't get to just exist and believe whatever the heck you want to believe. The text goes, this is who God is. This is what salvation is. This is what family is. Now be challenged by it. See, in this masterclass, the reality is this. Paul is going to come at you and he's going to cut and it's going to be like surgery. It's going to bring life to you. It's not going to kill you, but it's going to hurt. So if you show up to church to be stroked, this is not the series for you. Because Paul's going to go, forget your ego, man. Do you understand what God has for you? The church, the community, the ecclesia is the word. The called out people. These are the people who are going to rub up against you and challenge you. Are you going to get through it? Or are you going to be one of those people who go, I haven't gone to church in 10 years because they're hypocrites and they judged me. You're weak. You follow a guy who died on a cross because the church religion killed him. He'd go, you know what? I'm going to be part of Israel right now. All right. That, there was that one leader who did a couple bad things. I'm out. Grow up. The church is the group of people who will rub up against you, challenge you, and change you if you let it. The second thing the church does that I needed and I didn't know that I needed when I was 20. Listen, if I hadn't had the church, when my wife and I moved out here, 23 years old, we were just full of pee and vinegar and nothing could ever affect us. We didn't need anybody in our life. Listen, once we got church community, what happened? Do you think I ever needed the church? Yeah, when my nine-month pregnant wife got hit by a car, when the car actually hit into her stomach with my firstborn, and we weren't sure whether the child actually died. Nine months pregnant, walking across the street, a car hits her in the stomach. We go to a local guy, he's like, don't worry about it, let's put in these. Puts it on the, oh, uh, can't hear a heartbeat. I'm like, why are we doing this? He's like, you better go to a real hospital and get like a Doppler. I'm like, why did we stop here and do this thing? So we get down. You don't think I needed the church then? You don't think I needed the church when my wife has hit six, seven, eight surgeries since having our kids? The church shows up with meals for a month. The church loves, the church supports. In your moment, you might think you don't need community. You might think you're an individual. Paul says the church becomes the place where there's actually love, family. They'll carry you. You're not an individual. You're not as strong as you think you are. And so Paul says, I'm called, listen, listen to these words. I'm called by the will of God. If you have a, if you have a Bible, underline that. By the will of God. You know what's beautiful about that? He's saying, here's what's not gonna happen. Tony Robbins is wrong. Oprah's wrong. Rhonda Byrne is wrong. Eckhart Tolle is wrong. Here's what's going to happen in the universe no matter how much you think positively and speak positively. The will of God's going to get done. 
not your will. If you're in control of the universe by your words, I'm terrified because you're a disaster. And your desires are narcissistic and self-serving at every moment. The apostle Paul says, you want to know what's getting done in my life? I was called to be an apostle, not by my own will, but by the will of God. That's what he says. Because if it was my own will, I never would have called myself to this. Think about the amount of times you would choose pain, loss, and suffering if it was up to you. But pain, loss, and suffering is sometimes exactly what you need because the point of your life is not to become happy. It's to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the will of God for your life. You know that, Romans 8. And so the reality is this. How often would you choose the things that have actually shaped you into the person you are today? Rarely would you choose the things that actually hurt you, the things that caused you pain. But those are the things. See, God is so much smarter than you. On, on his worst day, he's so much smarter than you. And what he's doing in life, I look back at my life and I am so glad the will of God was getting done versus my own will. Because over and over, uh, I, I think about my parents' divorce. When my mom and dad divorced when I'm eight or nine years old, I would never choose that in my life. But it's the only reason that I end up at summer camp at 10 years old and hear the message of the gospel for the first time and it roots a seed in my heart so that when I'm 17, 18 years old and Chris Watt walks into woodworking class, something about me recognizes this. That divorce, if, if, if they don't get divorced and I don't go to summer camp, I don't end up, uh, if, I, if in school, I don't end up taking guitar class because I didn't want to take any other course and the only course left was guitar. And my mom's like, don't take guitar, that's crazy. I'm like, sounds easy. And I end up sitting beside a guy named Rob and Rob invites me to Bayfair Baptist Church over and over and over again. And finally, I go. And I show up to Bayfair and I meet Aaron and I meet Brad and I meet Brad. And I get my wife out of the deal and I get Brad and Brad telling me that I'm going the wrong direction in my life and I need to go to Bible college. And I said, that's ridiculous. And they said, you got to go to Bible college. So without, without walking into woodworking class, I don't end up at Bayfair. I don't end up at Bible college. I don't end up moving to Vancouver in order to get a master's degree so that I can go to England. I don't do that. I don't end up planting Village Church in 2010. And none of you are sitting here and any good that's happened at all in your life through Village Church and the ministry here doesn't even exist in your life unless my parents get divorced when I'm eight. You understand that? Thank God he's in charge. That out of loss and devastation comes redemption and transformation and change and apostleship. And you begin to think back to your life and on your deathbed, you're going to look back and go, man, I know that I thought that even in my salvation, I was choosing God. I get to choose Jesus. I got to choose him. And on your deathbed, the veil will be pulled back. You go, oh my gosh, he was hunting me down the whole time. That experience was to set up this, was to set up this, was to set up this. Because the reality in the universe is the will of God is the thing that's getting done, not your will. And one person likes it. <laughs> Listen. He ends the verse like this. I'm an apostle of what? Christ Jesus. Listen, this might be your first week and maybe your last at this point. Because you're like, oh, I thought this was going to feel nice. Feels like I'm getting cut open. 
I don't know whose voice that is, but anyways. Listen, he's laying out for you the most important thing. And so if this is your last week, I want you to hear this most important thing. All of this hovers around the person and the work of Christ Jesus. That's his point. He is the definitive event and person in all of history. And you need to decide what to do with him. And let me tell you something. A lot of you sitting here, if you're new, might go, you know, it's great. I've, I've heard about Jesus. He lived a prayer. There was sin. Humankind was made in the image of God. Sin came in. Israel was established. Jesus comes as a fulfillment of their story, dies on a cross, gets the sin mounted up on him, is a substitute in your place, rises from death to give you life. I've heard that. I understand that conceptually. But, and that's good that you believe that and that's true for you. But what's true for me is to not believe any of that, to believe this, to believe this, to believe that. And everybody's fine and we're both right. And the reality is that is, let me, let me tell you something. Um, something that your friends won't tell you and your family won't tell you. If you take that approach to the, the massive questions of life, if you take the approach that you're right and he's right and everybody's right, I'll tell you what your family and your friends don't want to tell you. You're wrong. You're dead wrong. It's not even logically possible that both you're right and Christianity's right. We could both be wrong, but there's no way we're both right. Not possible. Metaphysical pluralism is not a thing. We cannot, and some of you look and you go, yeah, but you know the reason I reject Christianity, then fine. I, I understand I gotta make a decision about what I'm gonna do with this Christ Jesus person that he's putting forward. But the reality is I look at the Christians around me and all they do is just believe a bunch of stuff, but their life doesn't actually live it out. They don't act Christian. They just think Christian. Ergo, I don't really think I need it. And, and, and here's what I would say to you. Look at me for a second. Here's what I would say to you. Ignore their life. Ignore their failures because they are a product of what secularism has done to Christianity. Secularism didn't kill Christianity. No, no, no. Here's what secularism did. It privatized it. It made it so that it's a sphere of Christians' lives versus the thing that overthrows their whole life. It means they do sex like this, money like this, family like this, work like this, and then they do Christianity over here. And it kills everything that Christianity is because Christianity is meant to be total truth, as Francis Schaeffer said, over top of all those spheres of life. And what you're looking at is a pseudo-Christian who hasn't figured that out yet. Do not look to Christians to figure out Christianity. Look to Jesus. That's what Apostle Paul is saying to you. Look to Christ Jesus. That's the one I'm an apostle of, and he is perfect in every way, and will never let you down. We'll teach you will take away your shame and your guilt and the awfulness of your life. Now, here's the challenge. And I'll close with this. Some of you, you will reject Christianity and reject what the Apostle Paul is laying out in this masterclass right off the bat in the first verse because you have way too much to lose, which is simply cowardice. You don't want to go down the rabbit hole to figure out whether maybe... You're living in the matrix and there's some pill, you know, masterclass like, hey, you want to take this or just live in the comfort of your situation? And some of you are like, I'd just rather live in the comfort of my situation because I know if I go down the rabbit hole and find out that Jesus Christ is real, then he now overtakes everything about my life, which is scary because it means my money and my sex life. Uh, forget that. I'd rather stay in the comfort of my situation right now. And that's cowardice. 
be very careful to not hold on to things that cause you not to understand truth. Because when you take the approach that that's good for you, but what I believe is good for me, the casualty is truth. The only thing you're doing is you're trading out truth for comfort. And that's a very dangerous place to be. And so the first idea of the masterclass is, do you actually have the courage to enter into the rabbit hole and go down as far as it'll go to see where this takes you in regard to business and philosophy and God? Or do you want to walk away? Father, I am grateful that we have investigative spirits that actually want to know truth. And we do not want to settle for a cultural idea, a cultural moment, a philosophy that says we're just fine as we are and we're going to move on with life, that we would actually find the answers in you rather than ourselves, in Jesus rather than philosophy, in, what, in the cross and in the resurrection rather than religion and principles and ideas and philosophies and the things that have completely derailed us to distract us from what you have for us. Speak to us. Let us, as we're sitting in our seats in these different sites and locations, let us actually hear you and what you're calling us to do. Let us actually respond to the, to the surgery, to what hurts, what cuts, and let us go, Kate, this is actually for my good. This is life-giving. It's not going to kill me. It's life-giving. Let us feel that and hear that and follow it to your glory and for our ultimate good. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.